Before I begin, I would like to say what an honor it is to be in this pulpit with you today. I think the last time I was here, I was 18, and it was a youth Sunday, so let's hope that in 10 years my preaching has improved. Will you join me in prayer? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Might be a familiar story, but listen for God in this text. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he was ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men beside women and children. The word of God. She was beautiful. She had this long, dark hair that was tied up in a very traditional way. She had deep lines worn into her face, almost like canyons. You could tell her age and that she had lived long and well. She had one of those smiles that showed on her face before it even reached her mouth. I was 21 years old. I was covered in sweat and dirt and dust, and I was sitting in her small yard in Guatemala. A group of us had just met this woman. Her name was Ophelia. Her and her daughters had welcomed us into her home to stay for the night, and during the day we had spent the whole day working in a potato field and constructing a rabbit house, and being a college student from a small private Presbyterian University, I was not used to doing a lot of manual labor outside of academics. We had been in Guatemala for six days and were staying with women in the villages for the next couple of nights. We sat on the ground as these chickens ran around our feet, and my Spanish is little to non-existent, but I wanted to try. I wanted to communicate in some way, so I somehow muddled out, tu pollo es bonito. I was trying to comment on how nice her chickens looked. I had never been invited into the dusty living room of a Guatemalan village, so ever the southerner, I wanted to compliment her on something in her home. She looked up and made eye contact with me and just said, Pollo. And I had communicated, I had made sense, and so I just started waving my arms about, just going, Pollo, Pollo, yes, yes. I was so excited. And she smiled and came over and grabbed my hand 
and placed it around the chicken's neck and slowly raised it above our heads and started swinging. (laughs) Needless to say, the chicken ended up being dinner. She took me to the back around her house where there was a stone sink and a huge pot of boiling water. Her face resembled that sink. It was worn and weathered, and she was automated in her movements. I knew the story that she had shared earlier that day. Her husband and two sons had disappeared in the night during a war that had ravaged the Guatemalan people. It had been years since she had heard from any of them. Half of her family, the love of her life, all gone without a trace. She had wept quietly while her daughters had recounted this story to us, but yet she had remained so strong. She worked in the potato field every day. She was hoping to raise rabbits. I wanted the words to talk to her. I I struggled to stand and pluck this chicken And we were standing together, and I couldn't figure out how to communicate with her. I was praying for a miracle, praying for a way to say thank you to a woman that had killed one of her three chickens because I had screwed up my Spanish. But with all that was left unsaid, we sat down as a disjointed community, and we had dinner. Have you ever noticed what a miracle a meal can be? When someone offers you nourishment for your body, for your soul, opening up space for conversation, space for healing, space for whatever the moment needs, isn't that a miracle? Or is that too simple? Can a miracle be just a meal? Because our scriptures are filled with big, bold miracles. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus. We just came out of the Pentecost season filled with miracles. So can a meal really be a miracle? When I was reflecting on the simple nature of miracles and whether we encounter them today, I was reminded of my father. Now, if you have ever met my father or shared a meal with my father, you will know that he appreciates food in a way that I have never seen anyone appreciate food. His love of food is unparalleled. When we reflect back on family vacations, he probably can't tell you where we went or who we saw or when we went there, but he could tell you everything we ate. Whenever I called from seminary, it wasn't necessarily about what I was doing. It was about what I was eating. The more detail, the better. As I was growing up, my dad made it a point to sit around the table together and share a meal. My dad understands the importance of eating together. The simple miracle of being together around food. My family is known for the noises that we make when we eat food together. It's how we show our appreciation for the food. It sometimes makes people uneasy when you hear so many noises coming from people eating. But my dad understands the feeding of those around us. For my dad... Every meal is a miracle. And when I think of this feeding of the 5,000, I think of it as a meal of miracles. Thousands of people seeking nourishment on many levels and receiving it from a meager beginning of bread and fish. But how do we wrap our minds around a miracle like that when we compare it to our everyday meals that we have? 
How do these miracles collide? I don't know about you, but I have never had food that didn't run out or encountered regenerating fish. So how do we understand it? When we look at this word miracle, it can be derived from a variety of different words. In the Greek, the word is dunamis, which means a miraculous sign of power or strength. It can also be semian, which is a sign, something manifested in your life that points to God. In Latin, the word is miraculum, meaning an object of wonder. The verb form is mirari, to wonder at, to marvel or be astonished. But even farther back, the Sanskrit, a word that we may not ever hear again, the word is smira, which simply is translated to to smile. Something manifested in your life that points to God. Something as simple as a smile. This feeding of the 5,000 is a vital story in our tradition. There are six different versions of it in the New Testament, and it is present in all four gospel narratives. Jesus' birth isn't even present in all four gospels. This meal, this miracle meal, is a miraculous event of feeding people. And our scripture today is even more unique with Matthew's portrayal. His writing has undertones of the Eucharist. The bread and wine are paralleled in the bread and fish, and many early Christian artists use bread and fish to represent communion. The breaking of bread the broken body, the nourishing of one another, the miracle of the meal. Jesus looked up to heaven. He blessed and broke the loaves, and he gave them to the people. And here, here is where I think the miracle really took place. When these baskets were going around the crowd of hungry people, somebody gets the basket and realizes there may not be enough for the person next to them to be full. So maybe they reached into their pack and pulled out some dried fish and a chunk of bread that they had packed for their journey that day, and they placed it in the basket. And maybe this trend continued, and maybe the miracle was that everybody had enough. People were fed. Maybe the miracle is that people were enacting the miracle in one another. The miracle was that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst the people. It dwelt amongst them in their baskets, in their stomachs, and in their lives. The miracle was that there was enough for everyone. Now, this may take the magic out of the miracle for you, and it is not my intention to say that a miracle did not take place there. Please know this is just my interpretation. It wasn't a raising of the dead. There weren't flaming tongues of fire, but there were 5,000 people enacting a miracle to one another, empowered by the love of Christ, words and body of Christ, and they shared that body with one another. Back in Guatemala, sitting around Ophelia's table with the chicken soup in wooden bowls in front of us, I was focused on how to eat 
the chicken's whole head that was floating around the inside of my bowl. And I looked up and I saw Ophelia smiling. Smira, to smile. As she calmly spooned heaping portions into these wooden bowls. And we sat in silence for a while, and suddenly her daughter started humming as she finished. The tune sounded so familiar, but I couldn't translate the words, and then I heard it. Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy unchanging love The miracle of the meal crosses boundaries. The miracle of the meal is a profound expression of compassion shared to a neighbor, a stranger, or a friend. The miracle of the meal invites us in whether we know the song or not. The miracle of the meal is enacted every day. The author Henry Nowen writes that the table is one of the most intimate places in our lives. It is there that we give ourselves to one another. When we say, take some more, let me serve you another plate, let me pour you another glass, don't be shy, enjoy it. We say more than our words could ever express. We want people to be nurtured by the same food and drink that nurtures us. Strange as it may sound, the table is the place where we become food for one another. Every breakfast, lunch, and dinner can be a time of growing communion with one another. So maybe miracles aren't so far off. Maybe my dad has been right all along. Maybe they're right around the table, or outside by a food truck, or on a park bench, or in a soup kitchen, or at a table you haven't been to yet. But know that that miracle lives in you. As Christ's hands and feet in the world, as people that live off of this broken body and blood or fish, we live that miracle meal. So maybe we need to spend a little more time at the table. Maybe we need to remember the simple miracle of a smile, the miracle of a meal. But may you be fed. May the breaking of bread, this breaking of bread, break you open to the love of Christ within you, reminding you of your place at the table and empowering you to reach into your pack and take your part in the miracle meal every chance you get. Amen. So it is our